Well, good morning. My name is Tony, and I'm the lead pastor here at Gateway. It is so good to see so many of you and uh, some faces I haven't seen in a while starting to get back out, and uh, we're excited about that. Uh, If you're online, uh, hopefully we got things working for you and fixed out up there for you, and you're good to go. Glad you're joining us. Today's week three of a three-week series. Uh, So in case you didn't get that, Jared, that's the last one for the series. All right. goofball. But uh, today we uh, finish up our series called Jumping In. Jumping In was a series that we did for three weeks on the importance of relationships, the importance of connecting as a church, the importance of really being the church, that the church is not this. The church is a movement of people, a gathering of people who move and go and do life together, and that, as Jesus would say, they will know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And that's what's going to make the difference in our world when we as Christians begin to obey the commandment of Jesus, His greatest commandment, to love one another as we love ourselves. And the world will just see that love and they'll be drawn to that. They'll see that and they'll want to be a part of that. I, with all my heart, believe that the church is the community that the world is so hungry for if they'll just submit to Jesus being king and ruler of it all. And so we've been talking about that. But next week, I want to give you a little heads up. Next week, we're going to do this series called Talking Points, the perfect blend of politics and religion. It's a three-week series, and yes, you guessed it, it's going to end on November the 1st. What happens the Tuesday after that? I think it's the perfect time for you to invite your friends. Your Republican friends and your Democratic friends and your whatever friends. Just invite them. I'm going to tackle those two topics that nobody wants to talk about. You know the ones mama won't let you talk about at Thanksgiving dinner? We're going to tackle them. We're going to talk about them. Um, Four weeks out, guys. We're four weeks out from an election. Let me say, it is getting ugly. Ugly. And it is an appropriate topic for us. So today, or next week, we're going to start that topic, talking points. And we're going to talk about politics. And just bring your friends. Come, join us. Be a part of that. You can watch online if you can't be here. So, that's that. Little heads up, talking about, you know, it's going to be rated PG and all that, so it'll be good for the kids to come. We're not going to get too much into that. But today, today, we're going to be talking about gently used items. And I just think that, well, here's something that you just can't live without, okay? Here. You are looking at the finest specimen of exercise innovation in human history. Crafted from space-grade aluminium, packed with cutting-edge technology, it has everything you didn't even know you needed. Diamond grip surface for superior traction, real-time heart rate monitoring, voice-activated entertainment console, 
and our patent-pending Cloud9 suspension system that will make you feel like you're running on air. Plus, this versatile catch-all surface allows it to be transformed into open-concept storage. The sturdy armrails are perfect for a standard coat hanger, and there's enough surface space to air-dry an average load of laundry, while doubling as a small child's jungle gym. With a variety of colour options to match your home, it blends in so well, you'll forget it's even there. In fact, it's so spectacular, you won't even want to use it at all. And at the end of the day, you can sell it. Gently used. Do you believe, Joe? Do you believe? Joe's our runner. Do you believe? No, he doesn't. I Trust me, he'd rather run out on the street. But uh, are you familiar with gently used items? Are you all familiar with like new or slightly used items? If you go out to Facebook, and uh, which it's the best way to go and the easiest way to go find gently used and sometimes not so gently used, right? I mean, I've gone out there and said, well, that's been ridden hard and put up wet, right? And, uh, but there are gently used items out there on Facebook. It's the best and easiest way to go find them. But you want to know what the best deals out on the Internet are? for consumer-grade fitness equipment. It's all over the place. If you want a piece of fitness equipment, I promise you, there is a gently used piece of fitness equipment. And you're all really quiet because you all have it sitting under a pile of clothes right now in your bedroom, don't you? You want to know why? You ever wonder why this stuff is sold gently used because someone believed they believed they believed that exercise is good for you we all believe that right they believe that fitness is important they believe that cardio can extend they don't want to go to the gym they don't want to go to the y they don't want to go do this place so they sitting in their seat saw a commercial and they believed They believe the message that this is good for you, and so I must do it. So they bought it. (laughs) You want to know why you get such great deal on gently used stuff? It's not because they didn't believe, but it's because they didn't use it. They believed, but they didn't use it. People don't always act on what they believe. Can we all agree on that? I mean, I believe that if I were to get on a bike today, Chris invited me and he said, we're going 12 miles. I haven't ridden a bike. The last time I went with Chris two weeks ago, my rear end hurt so bad. I believe it's the best thing I can do today, but I'm not going with Chris today. I'm not going to act on what I believe because I'm afraid. People don't always act on what they believe. Just because you believe it doesn't mean you do it, right? Doing makes the difference. Can we all agree on that? 
If I believe something, it doesn't necessarily change anything. But if I do something and I act on what I believe, then things begin to change. And this is true in many areas of life. Other than just exercise, we know it's true there. Here's another thing that's true. Having a partner makes a big difference. I mean, I would never have gone bike riding, but Chris invited me and I went with Chris and I went bike riding. And it was great. He held me accountable. He's like, come on, man, you can do it. And now I won't go with him anymore because he hurt me. No, that's just a joke. Having a partner makes a difference. Do you know how many times I laid in bed at 5 a.m. knowing I wanted to get up and my alarm went off and I hit that snooze button? I said, I'm just going to get another 30 minutes of sleep, right? And another 30 minutes. Next thing I know, it's 7 o'clock. It's too late to go exercise. I believe it'll be really good for me, but I just don't act on it for whatever reasons. But having a partner, when someone is also getting up with you at 5 o'clock, and they are on their way in the middle of January in 20 below weather to meet you at the gym, and you're laying there in bed, and your alarm goes off, and you think, oh, he's probably not going to answer his phone this early. He's going to be there. i got to get up and go. Right? Because having a partner makes the difference. You feel the pressure. You feel the responsibility. You don't want to let your friend down. You get up and you do what you need to do. You actually do what you believe. And it makes the difference. Accountability matters in life. Now I've been talking about exercise. But even Paul said exercise is good for the body. But spiritual exercise is good for the soul. And here are two dynamics in our spiritual life, in our faith journey, that I want you to see. Every Christian, every Christian believes. Can we agree on that? We believe in something, right? We believe in God. We believe in the Bible. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in Jesus. We believe in the cross. We believe in the resurrection. We believe that that God sent His only Son to save us and that we are saved through Him. We believe this stuff. We believe that we should love one another. We believe we should forgive. We believe this stuff because we read it in our Bible and we believe what is in our Bible, right? So we all can agree that every Christian believes. But as a pastor and as a Christian myself, let me also tell you this. Every Christian doesn't always do what they believe. Reading the Bible is good for me, and I know that. It helps me, it shapes me, it forms me, it gives me a new perspective, a new worldview that I can look at the world through, but I don't always read it like I should. I know prayer is good, connecting with God in prayer, talking to God, taking my burdens to God, speaking to God, asking God, letting God speak to me. I know that's good for me, but I don't always pray like I should. We don't always actively forgive. I mean, we believe in forgiveness, but man, when it comes to that guy or that girl or that coworker or that person in my life who really hurt me, we believe in forgiveness, but we don't always do it, do we? 
We don't always actively love our enemies. Thus, the situation that we're in right now, four weeks out from an election. Some of the things that I see my Christian brothers and sisters posting. Come on. We believe in this, but we don't always act on it. And very few believers, they believe in generosity. They believe God's generous. They believe God owns everything, but they don't always give generously. As a matter of fact, the statistics are out. They say the average Christian in the United States, the Christian who believes in this stuff, gives less than 2% of their income. Not just just the church, just to anything. That means 98% of what we have is going to us. And we wonder why we have problems. Personal problems. Generosity is not about giving. I've always told you this about the church. It's, the church doesn't want anything from you. It's what we want for you. I know from personal experience that when I act out what I believe in my giving, that it changes my life. It changes my perspective. It puts things in priority. That It makes the priority of my life God. It helps me trust that God's going to take care of me. So as a church, let me, let me say this church, as a church, we are not content with just having people who believe. And a lot of churches are content with that. We just want people who believe their Bible. And we want people who believe in Bible study. We want people who believe in this and believe in that. People who are just kind of going through the checkoff list. And no one's ever really acting out what they believe. We are not content with a church of people who just believe, but we want to urge you. We want to spur you on. We want to encourage you to not simply believe, but to actually follow. You say, well, I thought that's what I was doing. I believe. I'm here at church. I'm following. Well, Believing and following are kind of different things. Following Jesus makes my life better. And it makes me better at life. Actually putting feet to the ground. But following Jesus is the doing and the acting out of faith. Believing is just simply believing. Even the devils believe. Even the demons believe. But those who follow Jesus are acting out. They are doing their faith. I can believe and never follow. I can believe and never engage my faith. We cannot follow, though, alone. Following requires us to follow Jesus together. We cannot simply act in our faith in isolation. The Apostle Paul points this out all over the New Testament writing. He gives us all these what he calls the one another list. He says the one another list. Love one another. Forgive one another. Accept one another. It's all in there. Look it up. Just go out and do a Google search for the one another's and you'll get a long list. Accept one another. Care for one another. Encourage one another. Submit to one another. Restore one another. Carry one another's burdens. Bear with one another. 
The Bible's trying to tell us something. That this believing is important, but it's not all of it. Following is the acting out of what I believe, and we follow together. We live out our faith with one another. You cannot do what God is calling us to do. It's not enough to just believe privately, but faith is lived out and grown in community. Religion has gotten this wrong through the centuries. Before Jesus, after Jesus, in between. I mean, religion, not just the Christian religion, but all religions have gotten this wrong. For most religions, the idea of faith is a vertical orientation. You say, well, Tony, what are you talking about? It's how I measure how well I'm doing spiritually. I measure my spirituality not by simply how much I'm following with others, one another, but I measure my spirituality vertically. How are me and God? Well, I read my Bible today, and I prayed, and man, that just was awesome. I listened to that song while I was on my way to, the, to, to work, and it was awesome, and God really spoke to me, and God blessed me, and I did this, and I did this, and, and, and I'm feeling really good right now between God and me. It's vertical. And I work hard to make my relationship with God something that's good. I mean, I work hard. I mean, I, I do disciplines and I come to church and I give and I do these things and I'm working hard so that God will be happy with me because we think spirituality is all about the vertical. As long as God loves me, I don't need anyone else. As long as God is happy with me, I don't care what you think. Because me and God, we're good, man. What's your problem? And so religion has made spirituality this vertical orientation. It's a vertically oriented task. The problem is, That when we have a strictly vertical-oriented faith, something begins to happen to the people who are only vertically oriented. Something that's self-righteous. It allows us to keep and maintain all sorts of wrong attitudes toward people. I mean, hey, Jared, if me and God are good, man... I don't care what you think. I don't care what, you, what you're doing or not doing. Or, me and God, we're good, man. And that's all I need. Me and God, good. I got my ticket to heaven and I'm good to go. I begin to take on this self-righteousness. And when all I have is a vertical, orientated faith, it promotes elitism. I begin to think I'm more important than you. I don't see things the way... I don't understand your struggles, man. I don't have those. Just just sacrifice. Just get over it, man. Come on. Put that sin to death, dude. What's your problem? I did it. Vertical. It promotes racism. It promotes judgmentalism. 
It promotes me firstism. It promotes it promotes God's gonna getimism. You don't believe me? Take a real close look at some of the religions and even in the Christian faith. When faith is simply a vertical task, me and God are good. I don't know what your problem is. I'm in Hebrews chapter 10 today. And I'm talking to you today about having a vertical-oriented faith, but not just a vertical-oriented faith. Because here's something that I want you to understand today. Things may be good between you and God, but if there's something wrong between you and me, things aren't good between me and God. Does that make sense? If there's a reason Jesus said, hey, when you're at the altar and you're praying for forgiveness and you remember you got a problem with a brother or sister, you better get up from the altar because God ain't going to listen to you. God ain't going to hear your prayer. What God really cares about is you to act out your faith by going to your brother or sister and making things right. At least attempting to make things right. You see how that just, Jesus just totally like turned it from this vertical thing to now it's this horizontal thing. I'm in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. And what I want you to see here is how the author of Hebrews pivots from the vertical oriented faith to a horizontal oriented faith. He moves from belief and just belief in God to an actual practical implemented faith now this is not a either or but this is a both and we need the vertical but we also need the horizontal and we need more than just the horizontal we need the horizontal and the vertical they connect they intersect they are dependent on one another hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 through 21st. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened up for us through the curtain that is His, Jesus's, body. It's important. Remember that. Body. What is he saying here? The author is saying, I enter into the most holy place. What are you talking about the most holy place? We're not Jewish, right? We don't understand the temple. We don't understand all that. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, do you remember? He's, remember Hebrews was written to the Jews. So he's saying, you know, remember the temple and the temple had the most holy of holies and that's where the ark was and that's where the presence of God was. And, and once a year, the high priest could go in there and only the high priest. Now listen, it was so serious, they actually tied a rope around the dude's ankle. Now why do you think they would do that? In case he died. Now why would he die? I mean, just in case he's got a hidden sin or something going on, right? And he comes into the presence 
of the Lord. He comes into the very presence of God. And they would tie a rope around his ankle and he would go into the Holy of Holies and they would wait and it got to be too long. They'd pull and he'd pull back. You know, I'm okay. We're still ministering here and, and all this stuff. So this guy's given this imagery of the most holy place. We under, they understood, the Jews did, the most holy place was the Holy of Holies. Where the Here's what he's really saying. The door has been opened for you and me to go into the very presence of God Himself. We don't need a curtain made out of fabric. We don't need a separate room. We don't need an Ark of the Covenant. We don't need one person as a representative, the high priest, to go into the presence. No, because of Jesus, that has been opened up to us. He's talking about temple talk. He's speaking temple talk. They understood the temple The temple for the Jews and for all ancient people, when they built temples to their gods, they built them as a gateway between heaven and earth. That in the temple, it was kind of the place where heaven and earth met. And that was the temple. And they would make sacrifices to their gods. And they would go in to speak to their gods. And they would go in to meet with their gods. It was where the secular and the sacred met. It was where God dwelled. was in the temple. Now the Hebrew writer is saying, we have access to God without a temple. We don't need a temple. You, church, you people of God are now the temple of God. And you have access. It's a new and living way. The presence of God is now open for all of us through a curtain. You say a curtain. Yeah, there used to be a curtain that you had to go through. But when Jesus died, it says that curtain was ripped in two. And now Jesus' body, his body, has now become the curtain. So we go into the presence of God through the curtain that is Jesus' body. Verse 21. And since we have a great high priest, there's that high priest who would go into the temple... But now Jesus is our high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance, confidence of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure Water. He's talking about a vertical-oriented faith, an eye-to-the-sky view of God. He's talking about a personal relationship, my relationship with God. The vertical is critical. It must be, I must be, in the presence of God, through the curtain, at the, with the hands of Jesus as my high priest, who brings me through the curtain into the presence of God, where my conscience is, is clean, my guilt is wiped away, and I am made clean. Grace, grace, God's amazing grace. That relationship must happen. Why? Because I need to draw near to the presence of God. It is in the presence of God that spiritual life flourishes it gives me that assurance but then the author does something interesting he's having this vertical moment he's speaking about temples and holy of holies and he's speaking about high priests and this is like something we do right we walk through 
into the presence of God. But then he pivots the conversation. Now watch what he does in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold to that because he who is who promised is faithful. He's kind of starting to begin to make this pivot. He's saying, hey you, I understand you're in this eye to the sky. I understand you're seeing the holy of holies and the presence of God and you're seeing high priests and you're seeing Jesus and the body of Jesus and you have this relationship. But listen, look here. He's saying, you vertically oriented, high eyes to the sky people. He's saying, back here. (laughs) Come on. That's awesome. Spiritually, it's just God's doing incredible things for us in our hearts and in through, through heaven and through Jesus and the cross and the resurrection. He's like, but come back here. Come back to earth. Hey, we're back here in the real world. And in the real world, we drift. We swerve. In the real world, We lose our way sometimes. Sometimes the vertical isn't enough. Isn't that crazy to say that? You say, oh yes it is, Pastor. Then how come believers don't always do what they believe? I'm just saying, right? He's saying, look, you need to be unwavering in your hope. You need the vertical relationship, but that is a private thing that you have with God. But here in the real world, here where we live, here where our feet touch the ground, here where we go to work every day, we go to school every day, we deal with addictions, we deal with with, uh, broken relationships, we deal with divorce, we deal with separation, we deal with people angry at us and hating us, and we deal with political systems and governmental systems, and we deal with this junk in our lives. He's saying, God's done something incredible for us privately and personally, and He's washed our conscience and He's taken our guilt away, but now back here in the real world, we need to be unswervingly, hold unswervingly to this hope that we profess in. Belief is private, but that private belief must then translate into real world living verse 24 he says let us consider how we may well how are we going to hold unswervingly right what's going to keep us on the path is it going to be my vertical relationship with god Mm, probably not because if you just have a vertical relationship with god you get conceited you get elitism you get judgmental you have self-righteousness you you realize you start to think that you've overcome what's wrong with you why can't you overcome i overcame what's your problem you're just not committed enough i got healed you didn't get healed you don't have enough faith i mean you see what i'm saying the hebrew writer's like no this holding unswervingly doesn't gonna come from our isn't gonna come from our vertical relationship. It's gonna come through our relationship from the body of Jesus. He says, "Let us consider how we may 
spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We have to spur each other to keep us on the path. Did I see Bill Hartsif wear a cowboy hat today? Did you wear your spurs, Bill? Probably not. When we were out South Dakota, we went to a rodeo. My first rodeo. If you ever want to go to a rodeo, you go to a South Dakota rodeo with the Black Hills right behind you and the sunset. And, this, and let me tell you something. They do rodeos up nice in South Dakota. We were in Deadwood, South Dakota at a rodeo. And it amazed me how much they spurred those animals on. I thought, that's got to hurt. But let me tell you, they got those animals, those horses and those bulls to do exactly what they wanted. When they hit those, dug those spurs in, man, they did exactly what they wanted. Paul, or the author of Hebrews is saying, spur one another on. He says, consider. He means give careful attention. Look into, explore, contemplate. Just like you do in your relationship with God, your vertical relationship, you now have to consider and how you may spur. Investigate, look into, give careful attention. How might we spur one another on? And he pivots from the invisible to the visible. He pivots from the intangible who is God, to the doable, which is our relationships. He pivots from just the spiritual to the highly relational. What should we spur each other on toward? Love and good deeds. And this is where the real world happens. Belief in action. It actually is getting on the treadmill. It's getting on the bicycle. It's getting on the weight bench. It's getting up at 5 a.m. and going and meeting a friend to work out. This is actually giving sacrificially, forgiving others, apologizing if you've wronged someone. It's living out the loving one another as the Bible commands us to do. Verse 25, he finishes, not giving up meeting together. Ooh, there it is. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's saying don't miss this all-important teaching. Jesus lived it. Jesus taught it. The apostles lived it. They taught it. It's a very important truth. And we find all throughout Scripture, the Bible is urging us into deeper relationships. We have our vertical relationship with God, but when it comes to real life, it comes through our relationships with each other. And you can't have one or the other. You have to have both. In God's kingdom. I think I have a slide for that one. Am I in the right place? Yeah. Faithfulness in God's kingdom is connected to community. The author of Hebrews is 
telling us that. He pivots from this, what Jesus has done in our vertical relationship, and he turns toward our relationship with one another to spur one another on. Faithfulness in God's kingdom is tied not so much to just my faithfulness to God, but to our faithfulness to one another. My relationship to you and your relationship to me keeps me faithful. But why? Jesus told his disciples this. If you've seen me, I get this. I'm going to go back to the body language that Jesus said, my body is our gate into the presence of God. If you've seen me, Jesus says, you've seen the Father. What's he saying? Physical, flesh, my temperament, my personality, my, my ups, my downs, my humanity. If you've seen me, Jesus, the human Jesus, he says to his friends and his disciples, then you've seen the Father. Jesus was as close as they would ever come to seeing God in this life. Jesus' body, now follow me with this, Jesus' body is our way to the Father. They won't get mad at me. But listen, we, not you, are his body. Don't get mad at me. I know some of us, we think, oh, it's just me and God, and I'm going to make it to heaven, and it's going to be awesome. What do you think the body language is? What do you think when Jesus said, when you've seen me, my body, what do you think it means when Jesus says, you are my body? You think he's talking to you personally? Hmm. He's talking to us collectively. We, not me, are the body of Jesus. You will know, they will know that you are my disciples by your body, by your love for one another. If you isolate yourself from the body of Christ, the we, the relationship, the connection, you will eventually feel isolated from the Father. If you abandon the Jesus community, Trust me, you will eventually abandon even your faith. Again, faith and community are linked together because we are the body of Jesus through which we experience the Father, God. Faith comes alive in community. It comes alive. It's not just believing You want to know what I believe in my heart that the culture has such a hard time with Christians today is because we have so many Christians who simply believe and want to push what they believe down people's throats and they don't actually live it. They don't actually do it. People can see right through that. But faith in community comes alive. Because we're spurring one another on. We're encouraging one another. 
Why is this? Because in community, we see faith working. We see relationships working. We see us arguing with one another. We should have been here for praise team this morning. It was pretty fun, wasn't it? And it was all my fault. Worship leader calls me yesterday and said, I'm not going to be there tomorrow, and I'm scrambling, and Gary steps in, and Carol, and Kate, and they step in. And... But we love one another. I mean, it was a little intense, and Joe's like, I think I need therapy, you know. <laughs> but that's real life in some ways. Things just don't always go the way they're supposed to go. But we love one another. And we came around at prayer and said, you know, this is all up to God. And it was awesome. In community, faith works. If you're not in Jesus' community, if I'm not in Jesus' community, I'm risking becoming self-centered and self-short-sighted of my faith. So let me wrap this up. Let me give you the whole verse 23 through 25. He says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching who is spurring you on to live out your faith to move from belief to action to be a vertical and a horizontal believer who has permission to look into your life and to spur you on to encourage you to keep going to keep growing who has access to you right where else does this happen but in the body of Christ. Have you given up meeting together? Maybe you never started meeting together. And this might just be the first thing that you're stepping into. John says this in 1 John. He says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and truth. As your pastor, I'm not content for you to just believe. I want you to act on what you believe. I want you to join a life group. I want you to join a small group. I want you to join the community of faith. Life groups are where you can be challenged to act out. Not badly. I know what some of you are thinking. But challenge to act on what you believe. To engage, to listen, to share, to do life together. I know you don't have time. I know that. I know you're busy. I'm busy. And that's the reason that I don't exercise like I should, right? But we all have the same amount of time. It's how we choose to use it. I need this. You need this. We need this. So I'm going to pray for you and dismiss you, but... I'm going to challenge you. In the next week or two, you're going to have sign-ups out in the foyer with leaders and groups and people will be coming to you and asking if you want to join a group. And uh, you're going to be getting emails about surveys. Those of you that have filled out a survey, we've got those and processing them. Um, 
I want to challenge you to not just join a group because, well, if I don't, I'll feel left out, or pastor says I need to join a group. I was hoping through this series that you would see that faith is something that has to be lived out with others. It has to be. Or we become just simply believers who are self-righteous, conceited, elitists, and we've got to do this together, folks. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for each person that's here, each person watching online, Lord. I know the minute we start talking about life groups, we're like, I don't have the time. When can I do this? When can this happen? You know, or maybe some of us feel insecure and we don't want to go into a group or we're introverted and we just, you know, I'd rather just stay home. And I pray, Lord, that you begin to open their eyes. Let them go into the scriptures. Let them go back and listen to the the messages from this last three weeks and just take that in and listen to your voice. My prayers, Lord, is that by the end of the winter, we've got over 70% of our adults in some form of a life group. It'll change our community. It'll change our lives. It'll change our church. May we jump in to this, knowing that this is your calling for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You all are dismissed. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you back here next Sunday. Take care.